0: intermittent fasting and wine and i'm here with my co-host jen stevens author of fast feast repeat the comprehensive guide to delay don't deny intermittent fasting for more on us check out ifpodcast.com melanieavalon.com and jenstevens.com. please remember the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment so pour yourself a cup of black coffee four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to Melanie to sign up free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking, honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. Unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, None of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are
1: wearing. That's closet.com. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% 20 off their first order, beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number
0: 239 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen
2: Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? I'm so excited because our screened porch furniture came... This week and now I can actually sit on the screen porch. We've been eating dinner out there every night. I'm so happy. I love that. I know it's it's a lot of a lot of porch. It's a big big porch. So <laughs> yeah, the furniture didn't go in like I thought it would. It looks way better than I thought it would because of the way that we tweaked it. And I ordered a couple of rugs today because it you know it needs to be warmed up a little bit. But it is so cute out there. Ellie loves it. My cat, Ellie, can I just tell you the first night we always watch TV in the the den, which is right next to this room, which Chad and I do before bed and Ellie sits in or, or she might be outside. Ellie's in different places, but sometimes she's outside. Sometimes she's with us, but we always go to bed and I'm like, all right, Ellie, time to go to bed. So the first night we were out on the screen porch watching TV before bed with Ellie and then Ringo was out there too. And there's a cat flap on the door, the screen door, so they can go in and out. But Ellie was acting like she didn't know how to use it. So we're like, okay, no problem. But when it was time to go to bed, I'm like, all right, Ellie, time to go to bed. So we get up to go in the house. And you could tell she's got so much personality. She was like, if she was a person, she would have said, I don't want to. (laughs) She hid under the sofa. And then I got her out and she was running and she ran under the table and she wouldn't come out. So finally I got her and I took her inside. And I was like, all right, we're going to bed now. She did not go to bed. She ran outside through the other cat door. So I was like, all right, whatever. She's mad now. So the next morning I woke up, she was on the screen porch. She had figured out how to use that because that cat flap's a little different. She had figured it out. She said she was like being super naughty and belligerent. And she's like, you can't stop me. I'm going to sleep on the screen porch. (laughs) So just a few minutes ago, I was out there. She came in with a lizard. It was like old times. She like ran right in with her little lizard and dropped it at my feet and started making that little noise she makes. And so. She has claimed the screened porch.
0: Aw, that sounds like a very Southern thing, the screened porch.
2: Well, it is because it's just, you know, so much of the year you can go out there. Of course, you know, here we are, we're recording this end of October. It comes out in November, but it's still warm enough to go out there. But I wish we finished it just a month ago instead of, you know, I would have had more time to enjoy it because there will be, you know, December, January. There'll be some days I can use it, but. I won't get as much use out of it as I will in like spring. Will you guys put a fire pit or anything like that? I don't think we're going to. We've thought about that, but, you know, we've got a couple inside fireplaces and I don't know. Well, we're thinking about it. We may, maybe on the deck, but I don't know. Outside. Well, very nice. It is very exciting. It's only been like a year ago that we had the plans drawn. So it was a year long process. We're still not finished. Like it's taking forever. Like gutters need to be put on we don't know why the gutter people haven't come the electrician needs to finish a few things landscaping oh lord it's gonna be another year before every, all the landscaping's done well i want to see pictures when it's all done all right i have one picture on instagram of like a little table that we have out there yeah so you can look at that i'm gonna look i think i did see that pop up oh that looks like indoors i know that's outdoors though
0: oh wow i love it
2: yeah, I mean, it's very much like a, like here in the South, a screen porch is really very much three season. You know, I can put on my Uggs and wrap up in a blanket and be out there, you know, on the the warmer days, probably January, February, not as much, but.
0: Very nice. So what's up with you? Well, we said last week that we would
2: discuss my Zoe results. I know, and I've been waiting. I'm so excited about that. I don't think we ever talked about yours. I think we did. I said that I I cleared fat slowly and I cleared glucose slowly. Oh, you were slow on both of them? Yeah. And I wasn't surprised that I cleared fat slowly, but I was a little more surprised about the glucose. Were you like in the yellow or the red or or was it like really bad or?
0: I can't remember. I don't remember that. Yeah. I don't think we talked about it that granularly. So mine was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I clear fat
2: really well. Like almost excellent. See, yeah. I'm not surprised about that. Now that you clear glucose slowly, do you? Mm Mm-hmm. So so, I was so
0: close. Fat, I was almost in the excellent category. And then for blood sugar, the four levels are bad, poor, good, and excellent. And it gives you an actual like number. So for blood sugar, I'm 35, which is poor. Good starts at, it shows you like the average population and then it shows like what you are. So the lowest of the low for the average population is 46. So I'm below the average. I've known, like, I feel like I've said all along, I, I feel like I don't handle, you know, blood sugar very well.
2: Okay, so tell me. I just pulled up my report. So I'm going to look at mine. Tell me again, what was your blood sugar control? My blood sugar was 35. Oh, mine was worse than yours. <laughs> uh, what was yours? 23. And I'm not surprised because I can remember when I was a little girl You know, I didn't eat a lot of sweets and sugar because I could feel it make my blood sugar crash. I mean, this is when I was young. I never really ate a lot of sweets. I didn't really like it. Like I could feel it made my blood sugar crash. So I, you know, I was always the salty snack kind of person versus the sweet snack kind of person. So yeah, my blood sugar control is worse than yours was. What was your blood fat? Is that in the bad category? Yes. I was right at the, the threshold of poor and bad. Yeah, it's in the bad, but... <laughs> but close to poor
0: but bad. And what was your fat? My poor by the way is half like dead smack in the middle of poor.
2: Smack in the middle of poor. What was your fat? 73. Mine was 46. So it wasn't as bad mine's in the poor. So the the blood fat wasn't as bad. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Mine's mine's so close. Mine's almost in the excellent. You know that's really what I thought it was going to be something like that. I also think it's pretty telling because so clearly I don't have good blood glucose or blood sugar control, but my fasting blood sugars are always good. My A1C is always good. So I think that's pretty telling that like the dietary approach that I'm doing with intermittent fasting and, you know, I mean, very high carb fruit, but low fat is working well.
2: That's true too for me because I, same exact thing. My test results are always fine. And interestingly, you know, personalized nutrition, we know that the form that something's in makes a difference. I know, I mean, we tested the muffin. Muffin is what we used for the the test. I know that things like muffins and cookies and cake, I know that that makes me crash worse than like if I have ice cream. So I would have predicted that baked goods would make me crash sooner, if that makes sense. But I guess that the ice cream is also high fat. So when I have the fat and the, that would be, that's the variable. So now I'm thinking about, it. I don't know how they would test that. Cause I guess maybe if I had like a low-fat ice cream, that would be interesting to test. I would love to test just like the same amount of, I mean,
0: but it would be a huge volume, but the same amount of calories and fat and carbs, but from whole foods, that would be from like the type of foods I normally eat. But I know for me personally, like, you know, eating the same amount of carbs from like fruit, I tolerate really well. But
2: if I eat that from starches or, I mean, definitely processed foods, it, you know, major spikes there. See, that's so interesting. My body responds fabulously to potatoes and starchy, like whole grain kind of things, but not as well to fruit. Like fruit makes me crash more so. It's very interesting. But And I've never been a big fruit eater. People have actually said that. Like back when I was, you know, on Facebook and posting my meals all the time, they're like, I never see you eat fruit. I'm like, I never do. (laughs) Sometimes I'll have strawberries and blackberries when they're really in season and they look great in the grocery store, but I don't eat apples. I don't I mean, I don't buy fruit and eat fruit.
0: Yeah. I'm all about the fruit. I feel like I should, well, I was going to say I should start like a dietary approach, but I mean, it, it really is sort of like the repeat approach already, but a lot of people have come to me actually, people who have been doing carnivore or, you know, low carb, but like pretty meat heavy. And- Doing a paradigm shift where they go low fat but keep in all of that meat, but just make it lean and add in the fruit because that's what I do basically. And I've had quite a few people come to me and say they want to experiment with that, and they're super nervous, but it's gone really well for
2: all of them. So they do low fat, low carb, high protein.
0: Yeah. So like basically keeping in the aspect of like a carnivore low carb diet that's high in the protein and high in the meat,
2: but just replacing the fat aspect of that with fruit. High carb, high protein, low fat. All right. I'm 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 just trying to wrap my head around it. I was trying to compare it to what what might be out there. Like I was thinking of the Ducan diet, but Ducan is is not. It's Pete. Okay. Ducan is low fat, low carb, just high protein. Yeah. That's how it's different from that. I was trying to remember, but yeah, it's definitely not the same as Ducan. I felt so bad on Ducan. That was the worst I ever felt ever. I mean, it's basically what I did for... Mm, a few years. You felt good on that. Mm-hmm. I've never felt worse. The, I'd only made it like a very short time on that. It was because it was like low-fat, low-carb, high-protein. So, And I just was like, I felt thought, thought I was going to die. <laughs> I didn't last very long at all. Interestingly, so Maria Emmerich, do you know her? I know who she is. Yep. She's a keto person. She writes cookbooks too, right? Like she's got a lot of cookbooks.
0: Yes. Yeah, so her thing is the whole protein sparing, modified fast, PSMF. But she just focuses on the protein sparing part and there's no calorie restriction at all. So she advocates basically Duke and diet days, basically days of you know, really high protein, low fat, low carb. She had a, a webinar thing recently. It was an in-person and a webinar. I have the playback and I'm watching it right now because I'm prepping the show and you've got to watch this. It's her and her husband and they talk about everything we talk about and so well with like slides and her husband i think is some sort of i don't know if he's like an engineer he's in that world but literally everything we talk about like chasing ketones and like you know the role of fat but something he pointed out that had never occurred to me and this i just need to i seriously just need to take a course in um like i don't know metabolism what would that be biochemistry well i don't know i don't really know chad would know yeah he pointed out something that never occurred to me. The reason we enter ketosis is not because we can't burn carbs. Do you know why?
2: Why? It's because we can't burn fat. This like blew my mind. Does it mean, okay, wait a minute. We can burn fat, but does it mean that we can't be fueled by fat? No, we can't burn fat. So burning fat requires pyruvate. Pyruvate
0: is created from carbs. When we don't have carbs, we can't form,
2: is it pyruvate or is it Wait, I don't know. But wait, but we do burn fat. So now I'm, I'm confused. I just don't understand what he means by can't burn fat. Like he's not saying our bodies are incapable of burning fat ever. Okay, oxaloacetate. Okay,
0: so the thing he said that blew my mind is he said the reason we... Enter ketosis is not because we can't
2: burn carbs. It's because we can't burn fat, but we can burn fat. Though. We are, bu- we do burn fat. I don't know. What do, what do you mean by can't burn fat? Like can't burn fat. So we have to go into ketosis to allow us to burn fat. He's not saying we don't burn fat from our bodies, is he? So
0: when we're not in ketosis, we're burning fat in the Krebs cycle. And to burn fat, it requires oxaloacetate, which is made from glucose. So when we run out of carbs or glucose, we can't make oxaloacetate, we can't burn fat in the Krebs cycle. So the body has to instead switch into a ketogenic state, send fat to the liver, generate ketones, and also it can break down fat for glycerol in the liver. But so that just blows my mind. So like literally like the switch, like, oh, making ketones, it's not because we ran out of carbs. It's because we can no longer burn fat
2: without carbs. Okay. The liver has to basically, once it depletes the glycogen, then like the fat comes in and we make the ketones out of that in the liver.
0: Yeah. But the reasoning, that just blows my mind. The reasoning is because we can't burn fat is the reason we start burning ketones, not carbs. Mind
2: blown. Mind blown. I guess I'm trying to understand the definition of can't burn fat,
0: like literally can't. So like to burn fat in the Krebs cycle requires oxaloacetate from glucose. So literally cannot burn
2: fat. Don't have the substrate to burn it. We have to convert it. We're, so when we say that we flipped the metabolic switch, we're not getting into deeper fat burning. We're getting into fat conversion. Yeah, I guess it's like I'm trying to think of an analogy. I don't know that's more than I want to go. To <laughs> that's a lot.
0: So when we're not in ketosis, we're burning fat a certain way. And the way we burn it requires carbs. It's like they always say fat burns in the flame of carbs. It's because it actually does require carbs to burn fat in the normal functioning state if you're not in ketosis. So then when you run out of carbs, your body's like, oh, we can't burn fat anymore. This is a problem. What are we going to do? So it starts a whole different process.
2: Okay. You just wouldn't call the process of turning fat into ketones burning fat. It's converting fat. And you're using the fat to convert it into ketones, but technically that's not, quote, burning the fat. It's just a technical wording is what it sounds like to me. Well, I
0: mean, in a way you are, but I'm saying before that happens. So like the in-between. So like the the moment we start a new way of fat burning with ketosis is because we
2: temporarily can't burn fat without carbs. So it's like switching the way that we're burning fat. Well, I'm just going to keep calling it flipping the metabolic switch like Mark Mattson says. <laughs> that's my favorite my favorite way of referring to it. So we're flipping the metabolic switch so our body is using fat for fuel through the ketosis process. That still works. We can still say that because that's still true. Okay, here's
0: a good clarification. Like I think the misconception that's out there is that while we have carbs we're burning carbs and we're not burning fat. And then we run out of carbs, and it's like, okay, well, now we've got to just burn fat, so we start ketosis. But actually, when we're burning carbs, we're also burning fat. Like, and then it's when we run out of carbs that we can't burn fat for the long term, so then we switch to ketosis.
2: Basically, my takeaway is there's a lot going on, so I don't think we need to really worry about what's going on. Fast, feast, repeat, and it'll happen. <laughs> That's my take. <laughs> I literally like wrote in all caps. Mind blown. Talk about that's the note I wrote. Well, cool. I'm glad. I'm glad that. See, I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. Look, the teacher in me loves that you want to know all that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That I'm just like, all right. I mean, I you know, I, I tuned out when my teacher was talking about the Krebs cycle and biology. I might take a course in all my free time, <sighs> uh, or get a book. Keep in mind. I taught elementary school. And so my mind really loves elementary level science, like understanding it at the basic, just like, like think about the greatest hits, right? You know how you learn the greatest hits of of every artist, and you know, like a lot of things, but you're not like, you don't know everything there is to know about Taylor Swift. You know, everything there is to know about Taylor Swift. You're the deep diver. I'm the greatest hits. There's the difference
0: you know why that's an even better analogy? Because if you just hear the greatest hits from an artist, there could be like, not misconceptions, but you could have like a certain... Because I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying like you could have a, a view
2: that's correct, but is like not actually quite as nuanced as... The very best example of that is the Grateful Dead. I went to a Grateful Dead concert with Will a few years ago in Atlanta And I was like, where's Sugar Magnolia? Where's Uncle John's band? What are they playing? (laughs) Because I had the Grateful Dead greatest hits. And that is not what they played. So I get it. So I was like, I do not like the Grateful Dead at a concert. It was not my jam. But Will was like, this is amazing. And it was actually Dead and Company, I think they call it now. And it was with John Mayer. And Will was so excited. But I was like, this is terrible. What's happening? Anyway. I just want to hear sugar magnolia. Anyway, I wanted to circle back to something from before.
0: Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 20% off one of my favorite things for truly taking charge of your health including testing something we talk about all the time, your insulin levels. So to live your healthiest and longest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source. That would be your body. By using data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers, Inside Tracker gives you personalized and science backed recommendations on things that you can take control of to optimize your health. What I love about Inside Tracker is that Inside Tracker tests provide optimal ranges, not conventional ranges, for over 40 biomarkers, including magnesium, vitamin D, testosterone, cortisol ferritin, which is the storage form of iron that is rare for doctors to test, ApoB, three key female biomarkers, and something I am so excited about, Inside tracker recently added insulin testing to their ultimate plan. Friends, I am thrilled about this. We talk about insulin all the time on this show. It is so relevant to your metabolic health and your lifespan. In particular, insulin tracking is an early warning sign for several chronic diseases, and is a key indicator of energy optimization. It can really let you know if your diet, if your fasting is working for you. You want to test your insulin. It is so hard to get doctors to test insulin, and now you can do it with Inside Tracker. The thing I love most about Inside Tracker is that they have a strict science-backed approach to everything they do. If your specific biomarker level is unoptimized, Tracker actually provides recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer-reviewed studies and personalized to you. This process was set in place by their founders that include experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. And for a limited time, our audience can get 20% off their ultimate plan, which includes testing that insulin, when you sign up at insidetracker.com slash ifpodcast. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, then visit insidetracker.com slash podcast. And one of the things I really love about Inside Tracker is it helps you track all of your results, all of your tests over time. So you can see patterns, see your history. It makes predictions of where you'll be if you continue on your current trajectory. It is a game changer for making sense of your labs. I am obsessed with Inside Tracker. Again, you can get 20% off their ultimate plan, including testing your insulin levels at insidetracker.com/ifpodcast and we will put all of this information in the show notes.
2: What is your blood type? Oh, I knew it was O. I was going to say O. Let me tell you why. Now, here's a caveat. I do not believe it is as simple as blood type, but I Did you ever read the blood type diet? Yes. And My friend who did great on the Ducan diet and who loved it, she was type O. I am type A. So I I do not believe everyone should go out and read The Blood Type Diet and follow it because I tried to follow it. It never – what he said to eat for A didn't quite feel right to me. Then if you read his later books – It gets even a little more convoluted. He's like, well, it's not your blood type. It's like whether you're this or genotype or whatever. And then I was trying to figure that out. Then it directly contradicted what he said earlier. And then I was so confused. I was like, never mind. But that really was the first time I ever, you know, I say the first time I heard about personalized nutrition was 2017. But actually, it was when I read the blood type diet, the whole idea that we are different when it comes to what foods might work for us. And so there's that whole you know, genetic factor or whatever. So I don't think it's as simple as blood type. And I don't think he ever really proved his concept sufficiently for me to be like, yeah, that's it. But I was predicting you were type O. My theory
0: with that is, and this is not a comprehensive theory, but one of my thoughts about what what might be going on is he says that blood type O naturally correlate to higher HCL levels. And I think that probably plays a big role in the high protein intake. Yeah, that makes sense because your body's better able to break it down. Yeah. So it's like having just a naturally more carnivorous, you know, gut in a way. The thing about his work is, it's very fascinating, but he mentions all of these studies and these tests and like, I don't know where they are. Like, I think they're all of his own work, you know, and his dad even, I think his dad started the, I don't know. I'm trying to, it's been years since I read it. I wish they were like you know, published or something, because you kind of have to just take his word at it.
2: And then when, if you read his later work, did you read his later work where he started going into like, whether you're the farmer or the teacher or the warrior or whatever, the genotype stuff that, and you could like get this test and that test. And then I was like, wait, this, whether you're a secreter or a non-secreter, I'm like, this is way too complicated. Forget it. (laughs) He lost me (laughs) when I, you know, everything was so contradictory. That also confused me. but. I do think, you know, we're different and blood type is definitely related to genetics, right? You know, certain populations. So it takes you back to the part that we've got genetic differences, which I do think is the solid foundation of that theory of his. I agree. Just his catalog is so specific and granular. You know, it's like it's like this really specific food. Eat navy beans, don't eat lima beans. I'm like, what? Right? <laughs> yeah. Eat you know almond butter, not peanut butter. It was it's kind of like that, and I can't remember what it was, but I know that overall, A was supposed to thrive on. In general, you would describe it as a wasn't like agrarian or um like agriculture kind of vegetarian ish with less meat but some meat, but you know, and that is really how I eat. And O was more like protein and meat. Yeah. I
0: mean, it did it did line up with me pretty well, which was interesting. I wonder if he goes on
2: shows. I should try to get him on the show. That would be interesting. He's an interesting guy. So I, I don't think that everything he says is completely wrong, but I don't think it's quite as simple as just blood type. I mean, we know it's not because, you know, the work that, that Tim Spector's doing, we know that a lot of it is your gut. We're, we're so complicated that whenever we try to drill down to just like one little thing, you know, we're, we're a lot more complicated than that. How was your gut microbiome result from from it? I don't have that report up. The, you know, I, I had some good stuff and some, you know, some not as good stuff. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like terrible.
0: Mine was, let me pull it up. Mine was pretty much what I thought. It wasn't that good. It wasn't? No. Let's see if I, I don't know if I can find it quickly or not. Because they test 30 different strains. I'm dying to know, like people who follow like a carnivore diet, and don't perceive having any gut issues and like feel really good. I'd be really curious what they look like on these panels. Like, I wonder if this panel is something that is—I don't know. I'd be curious, like vegan versus carnivore. But so, I only had three of the good ones, and I had one, two, three, four,
2: five, six, seven of the bad ones. So less than ideal. I don't. It's hard. I, I'm looking at it sideways. It's hard to see. I've got more than three of the good ones. One. One, two, three, four, five. I've got like most of the, I've got a lot of good ones. Yeah. Like I have a lot of Felicia. How's your Felicia? <laughs> I don't have Felicia. You don't? Okay. It's one of the good ones. I've I've got 9%. It's fecal bacterium prazinski. I don't know. I'm reading it sideways. Oh, listen to this. It says it's associated with higher polyunsaturated fat levels and lower levels of insulin. Well, we know I have low levels of insulin. I have 9.3% and normal is 7%. You can see just all the good and bads. Can you see how many goods you have and how many bads? I think my report might be different than yours because I did it so long ago. I don't see that information. Yeah, I have like an overview of the 30. And I have, oh, listen, I have a lot of Oscar two, which is oscillobacter, whatever. And it says associated with higher insulin sensitivity and lower levels of insulin. So again, the ones that are associated with higher levels of insulin sensitivity and lower levels of insulin, I seem to have a lot of those or more of those. I have Veronica with higher insulin sensitivity and lower inflammation, Violet,
0: higher insulin sensitivity and lower insulin and Valentina. I have all the V's. Higher polyunsaturated fat levels and lower inflammation. That's so interesting. Why aren't all the inflammation ones? And the other ones, wow, wait, that's really interesting. So you've
2: got really low inflammation. According to your gut. I have the ones for inflammation. And then in the bad ones, you know, I've got some good on the bad ones too. Like like the one that the one that's associated with less favorable fat profile. Like I have a good ratio of those. Like I have fewer of those. Like I get green because I have fewer of them. Like in the bad bugs, I don't have a lot of bad bugs at all. Like I'm really good on not having the bad ones. That's good. So interesting. It is so interesting. And you know your gut changes, so that's good. How about the beneficial parasite Blastocystis Blastocystis hominis? I was negative for that one. I don't think I have that. I don't. Let me find that. It's supposed to be good for you. I don't have it. They said it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just one part of a very complex system. So that's good. Yeah, I don't have it.
0: So yes. So for listeners,
2: if they are interested, this, we didn't even say what it was. We kind of just assumed. Well, if people have been listening, they know, oh, I just got a crick in my neck because I was turned my head sideways because the report was like sideways. So now I've got like a a crick in my neck. I need somebody to rub my neck. (laughs) Oh my goodness, Jen.
0: Last night I went to, I I love massages and I went to the massage parlor that I always go to. And normally they just do like a Swedish massage, you know, like the normal thing. But this woman, I, I don't know. She like went like, straight up tie like the whole like walking on top of me I was like what is happening like you know where they hold onto the bars and then they walk on you No, I've never had a massage therapist that did that and I was like what is happening and then she like started pulling out these tools and she was like I'm gonna do these things and I was like okay and then she started doing cupping which is fine but I my whole back looks I
2: don't know it still looks like really scary I I hope it goes away Yeah. No, I have a massage therapist that I go to. I'm very like, I'll find somebody and that's who I go to forever until something happens to them. (laughs) So I have a girl, her name is Jenny and she's amazing. And I go, I go every four weeks. I just make my appointment. I used to go every six weeks and now I go every four weeks. I probably go four days a week really to get a massage, to get a
0: um, chair massage, like a 15 or 20 minute one. And then this like hour long massage, I probably go like once a month. Yeah. I go once a month. I do 90 minutes once a month. Well, she was saying, she was like, next time you, you should come for 90 minutes. And I'm like, mm, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, I'm not going. But I just really like the girl that I go to. She's fabulous. I just started going to her over the pandemic. I lost the person I had been going to. Anyway, long story, she was no longer available. So I had to find somebody new. And my hairstylist recommended, you know, you want to know somebody good, ask your hairstylist. Because they know who's good.
0: But yes, so Zoe, I don't remember why we were talking about that. Oh, you got a crick in your neck.
2: Yeah, I have a crick in my neck. I'm not going to your girl.
0: Yes. No, I was like scared. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, what if I, <laughs> and I ha- I was like thinking about it. I was like, I wonder how many people have died during a massage. You know, like somebody walking on them and then, you
2: know, like accidentally stepping on their neck or something. Crushing them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds like she was, uh, that sounds like a bad idea. I'm not down for that.
0: Yeah. I'm not. And she gave me her number and her name. She's like, you know, next time you can come back. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So Zoe for listeners is a very super cool program created by Tim Spector who wrote Spoon Fed and the Diet Myth. Oh, which by the way, my episode with him airs while we're recording it, it airs this Friday. So it will have come out. So if listeners would like to listen to my interview with Tim, which was incredible and amazing we dive deep into the gut microbiome. We talked a lot about the Zoe program. I was really excited because I I talked about this before on the show, but he was like very open and transparent about how the way it's set up right now. It's not perfected yet, right? Yeah, so people are doing like low carb diets, for example, because of the temporarily, is it called physiological insulin resistance? So basically when you're on a low carb diet, your body becomes a little bit insulin resistant if you are exposed to carbs because it wants to basically save those carbs (laughs) for the brain. So the muscles become a little bit insulin resistant. It's transient and it's temporary and it's not, um, it's benign and it reverses really quickly. But the way to reverse it is to basically reintroduce carbs. And so he was saying that they've even been wondering, should they have some sort of you know, accommodation for that, for people who
2: do the muffins after coming from a low-carb diet? Oh, good point. Yeah. That makes sense. Isn't he brilliant? He's
0: like a brilliant man. Because I asked him that. I was like, what about, you know, people on low-carb diets? And he was saying they're thinking about that. And and he was saying in the future, they might... Oh, he's saying also like, would they have a version of it that is, you know, low-carb basically? Oh, and I asked my question that I had, which was people who get bad fat clearance scores, might it actually be possible that they actually would do well on a low-carb diet, which might be higher fat? And anyways, we talked about all of that. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But he created this program. If you sign up for the CGM arm of it, you get a CGM. You eat these muffins. It measures your blood and fat clearance like Jenna and I just talked about. You do a gut microbiome test, which Jen and I just talked about. It's very, very cool. So we'll put links in the show notes to it.
2: Awesome. So that was a lot, (laughs) but also interesting. All right, we have some feedback. So we have some feedback from April
0: and the subject is yay. And April says, I'm so excited. I'm listening to episode 216 and you answered my question on a morning window. Thank you. And I have an update on it. I have been fasting now for a while, and I'd say I have adjusted and am fat adapted. I was feeling really good in my morning window. I almost hit my goal and was starting to incorporate some ADF to try and push through to it. I was getting comments about how good I looked and how much younger I looked, but my husband was not liking me not eating with a family at dinner time, since that's when he's home and that's our only family meal together. So I again moved to a later window and started gaining weight and felt horrible. I wonder if this is part of why fasting doesn't quote work for some people, because if I had only ever tried a later window, I would definitely say fasting doesn't work for me. I know you always say you will never stop fasting, but if I only knew the later window, I certainly would not want to continue fasting. Anyway, as a compromise, I sometimes eat dinner with a family and just do a shorter fast that day and sometimes have my morning eating window. That's working for now. Thanks again april.
2: It really illustrates that there is no one size fits all. And you know when people ask me what's the best window, I, I can't tell you. I can only tell you what window works well for me and what makes me feel the best. Like Melanie and I were talking before we started recording, my aunt recently died. She was 94. She had a good life. She really did have have a great life and I got to see her the week before she died and and connect with her so that was nice. But we were at the funeral yesterday, and it was a Southern church funeral. So anybody who <laughs> has been to a Southern church funeral, all the people of the church brought just amazing food, like, you know, fresh corn, from amazing. So I opened my window at noon. And then I had a second meal at my sister's. We had chili. And so I ate twice. And I was so full and tired and sluggish all afternoon. And then I realized I only had a seven and a half hour window. And it felt like such a long, drawn-out window to me. And so I feel better when I have an afternoon-slash-evening eating window with one real meal in it. But that doesn't mean that everybody will. Like, Melanie, you feel better with a late-night window. I would not feel good with a late-night window. And so, April, I love that you figured out that a morning window is really where you feel the best. And everyone who feels like you know they can't find their ideal fasting time and eating time, tweak it till it feels good. That really is the key. April's body let her know that it didn't feel good when she tried to have the evening eating window. Love that, that she figured it out. Actually, we're talking about Zoe. The feeling I
0: had, because for me, if I were to do a earlier eating window and then have to fast after, it's so miserable for me. Me too. And I had that thought while doing Zoe because you have to um with the muffins, you have to eat one muffin, then you have to fast four hours, then you have to eat another muffin, then you have to fast two hours. And I just remember thinking, like, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. Like <laughs> I fast, you know, every day for almost, you know, probably 20 hours. But fasting right after especially after having eaten something like a Zoe muffin, but I was like, wow. So, you know, this is quote me trying to fast and this is so hard. And I was just thinking, if this was my only experience with something that I perceived as quote fasting, I'd be like, this is the hardest
2: thing ever. I can't do this. It would be the same reaction that April had. Well, whenever I tried to have an early window, like I would be fine. I would feel more sluggish, then I'd be fine. But then by the time 8 p.m. rolls around, I'm like starving, starving and miserable. And have to eat like if I ate a really big meal, at like 9am, I'd be fine for a while. I wouldn't feel my best throughout the day, but I would I'd be okay. But then later I would be so hungry, I would eat again. So that would be that. (laughs) The weird thing for me is like, I have to eat to fall asleep. Like I can't. Yeah, like I don't do not sleep well on an empty stomach. But I love what April said. She said, I wonder if this is part of why fasting doesn't quote work for some people. Yeah. I have a feeling that if it if, if someone feels like it doesn't work, it's because they haven't found the plan that feels right to them yet. I agree. 90% of the time when someone tells me fasting didn't work, I say, What did you drink <laughs> during the fast and they tell me? There's somebody um local that it is a store that Chad and I go to and I we went back in there the other day and she's like, Hey, I tried that fasting thing and it didn't work for me. And I'm like, all right, well, first of all, how long did you give it? And she said, one week. I'm like, well, okay, that wasn't really very long. <laughs> and I said, and what were you drinking? She's like, well, I like to put sugar-free creamer in my coffee. I'm like, well, okay, let's let's examine this. <laughs> I said, did you by any chance get my book and read it? And she's like, no. I'm like, well, I would start there. <laughs> Try that. You got to understand the clean fast. And, you know, and, and she's very open to it. We we had a great conversation, but, you know, she she was... Not fasting clean, and she gave herself a week, and she felt terrible. But as I, I would predict that if you're drinking coffee with sugar-free creamer for a week, you're going to feel awful. So anyway, that was good feedback. Thank you, April. Thank you, April. All right, we have a question from Michelle, and the subject is fasting insulin and fasting glucose. She says, Hi, Jen and Melanie. I love listening to your podcast. Thank you for all you do. My question is about insulin and glucose. I've been doing IF for one and a half years now, and I love it. I've always had high blood sugar since as long as I can remember. I was hoping that IF would help me with that, but it's still high. I just got blood work done last week, and my fasting insulin was great. It was three, but my fasting blood glucose was 130, and my HbA1c was 6.3, which is what it's always been close to. I'm just confused as to why my fasting insulin was so good, but my blood glucose and HbA1c were still so high. I try to eat low carb, but lately I would say I'm eating a moderate carb diet. I probably should eat low carb. I just don't like feeling restricted and I work out a lot. So I justify being able to eat some carbs. Also, I find that when I have a few alcoholic drinks, I crave carbs like crazy. It's really strange. Thank you for your help, Michelle. And I want to throw in there. Yeah. If I have too much alcohol, I start eating just everything that's around. It lowers my inhibitions to all food. (laughs) Yeah, it can lower inhibitions
0: and then it can also drop blood sugar. So then you're craving carbs. So this is a great question from Michelle. So I'm not prescribing this as this is what Michelle has, but this profile of low insulin, high blood sugar, high HbA1c, that's sort of like, Type 2 diabetes realm, because that's not having enough insulin to deal with carbs and always having high blood sugar
2: and high HbA1c. Yep. I was thinking that exact same thing not enough insulin to do the job. Mm -hmm. So clearly she got
0: this done through a, a doctor. So I'm really curious what her doctor thought about all of that. But this would be a situation. Again, not a doctor, but I do think it's a concerning situation to have th- those high fasting blood glucose and that high hba one c especially for, I mean, she said it's like been a thing for a long time. And ironically, so we often talk, or I at least often talk about how you can potentially get really good insulin and blood sugar control on like high carb, low fat diets or things like that. But if if you have this situation where you're not clearing carbs. I would work with a doctor. I would really consider maybe a low-carb or a ketogenic diet. I would look into it further, basically, because it's a bit concerning.
2: Yeah. You know, there comes a point with type 2 diabetes where you're not controlling your blood sugar, so your body stops making so much insulin, right? Your beta cells in their pancreas are not producing insulin right and so then you would have a low level of insulin and you might think oh that's really good but really that's not not a good sign you know we we've said before yeah low fasted insulin is good but not always not if you've got other things you know if if it's low because your pancreas is not working properly then that's a different situation so yeah i think low insulin and really high blood glucose is 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 just like you said, Melanie. That's something that I would dig into. You know, let your doctor figure out. Or I said type two. It's really it would be type one diabetes. Well, it's like type two. It, you're type two, and then it like. Do they say that it like converts to type one? I don't really know what they say. Like, do they change your diagnosis when your pancreas is no longer working? And then there's also like type three diabetes. It's like a progression. You know what I mean? Like, it's a. Progr- I, I'm not an expert in this. And there's like type one and a half. But it's like a progression, like you're type two diabetic because you have high levels of insulin. But then over time, your pancreas stops working because it's like burned out. I mean, I don't know. That's not like the medical term for it. Maybe it is. But then your pancreas stops functioning properly. And then you have to start your type two diabetic, but now you're insulin dependent. So basically, Michelle. It's really complicated. You see, we're talking in circles a little bit around it. We're not endocrinologists and there's a lot of factors. And so I would would work with a doctor, endocrinologist, somebody who can pinpoint this and see what's going on. Make sure your pancreas is functioning properly because as we both have said, we're not doctors, but you may not be producing enough insulin to get your glucose down.
0: So basically like type one is autoimmune related. So the the beta cells are being attacked by the body and you're not producing the insulin that you need. And then type two is more lifestyle driven. It progresses.
2: Uh, Well, type two does not become type one. No, no. But type two progresses to the point that you're insulin dependent. Like my dad. Okay. My dad type two diabetic eventually became insulin dependent. Okay. Yeah. Cause it like wore out. That's where I was like using the terminology. I don't know what the correct medical terminology is. But it's like it like wore out his pancreas. Yeah, exactly. Either way,
0: the presentation of low insulin, high blood glucose, high HbA1c would most likely signify, like if you just put that on paper, that's what type 1 diabetes looks like compared to type 2 diabetes where
2: you have high insulin, high blood sugar, high. Right. Well, that's true. Unless you get to the point where your pancreas is not producing insulin at all. Which that's the part that (laughs) I don't know what they call
0: that. What do they call that? I'm not sure. The insulin being low in the presence of the high blood sugar, high blood glucose, that would be like a presentation of type 1 diabetes. Regardless, I'm really curious what your doctor said. Like, (laughs) you know, so you might want to keep monitoring this and work with a doctor. And yeah, definitely monitor it. And I'm glad she asked about it because. I can see how this would be a major misconception because we talk so much about how low insulin is good, but the context is super key. And if if you have low insulin and you're not releasing enough insulin to deal with your carb load and it's building up, I mean, that's a major problem. So
2: again, not doctors, but I did just real quick find a study called mechanisms of beta cell death in type two diabetes. So again, I don't know what the, the exact terminology should be, but. It definitely can happen as it progresses.
0: Yeah, and there's actually, and I just I just looked this up because I was thinking it was a thing. So there's also type 1.5 diabetes, and that's latent autoimmune diabetes in adults. It's the one that shares characteristics of both type 1 and type 2. It's usually diagnosed during adulthood. It sets in gradually like type 2, but unlike type 2, it's actually an autoimmune disease. And that's where your beta cells stop functioning. So... I am not diagnosing, but you might want to approach your doctor with curiosity about type 1.5 diabetes.
2: So, But if you get a fasted insulin level that's low and your blood glucose is low, your fasted blood glucose and your A1C is good, that's not something to worry about. It's only when insulin is low and your glucose is high that you might be like, huh. Your body, if it were working properly, would pump out more insulin to lower your blood sugar because that's what your body wants to do. That's how it's designed to work. So something's keeping it from doing that. Exactly. All right. We talked around and around that one.
0: (laughs) Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us. And it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, Literally every single day of my life, I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy that includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve's to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. I did a um, Q&A episode. I recorded it. I haven't released it yet with NutriSense CGM with Kara Collier there. And she's the founder. I learned so much about like the studies, about like different levels and if you have certain spikes, how that correlates to health and longevity, it was really, really fascinating. So I don't think it'll be out by the time this airs. Point of all that is that it's very fascinating what we can learn from blood sugar levels and HbA1c, but in any case, something is definitely going on here with the insulin.
2: Yeah. Okay. All right. Do we have time for one more quick one.
0: So we have a question from John. The subject is fasting. And John says, hello, my name is John. I'm 57 years young and I've been doing intermittent fasting for 31 days now. I do the 16:8. I eat mostly vegetables with about, with about four to five ounces of protein per meal. If I can, my eating window is from noon until eight. I have had increased energy, but for the last couple of days seem to be getting tired around three o'clock. Should I go from 16.8 to 18.6? I'm losing weight on the 16.8, but I don't know if I should make my
2: fast longer. What do you think? I'm reading Fast Feast Repeat. Great book, John. Thank you, John. And it's been about a month since you wrote this question, so hopefully you pushed through that. But this is what we find as your body's getting to the end of the adjustment period. Very, very common. Whenever that might be, you know, you've been having an eight-hour window. So as you get to the end of the adjustment period, your body's about ready to flip that metabolic switch. It's very, very typical to have like a lull in there, like a feeling of decreased energy, like you're moving around through jello a little bit. And then you get to the other side and there's ketosis and then you feel better. And there's the energy again. So you asked if you should go from 16:8 eight to 18:6. You know, that's that was one way to push through. Just give yourself just a little more fasting to push through that and then it's so much better on the other side. This classic adjustment period description right there. The reason it took John, you know, 31 days because he's been doing 16:8. Had he been doing 19:5, he might have hit that wall, you know, in week 2 to 3. And it just really depends on your own personal metabolic factors. So many factors. You know, some people might not get that adjustment phase lull to a week six. Perfect. You were doing keto before, right? Right. You were already fat adapted. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the same with me. I went from summer of 2014. I had been doing keto all summer. We've talked about this before. So I was fat adapted from keto, from the fat from the keto, but not losing any weight. Then I reintroduced carbs and started intermittent fasting and then bam, So I didn't have a lull. That was the only time I was able to stick to it too. I felt so much better with the fasting and adding back in the carbs. And I immediately started to see, you know, weight loss of about a pound a week, but I was already fat adapted. So, yep. All righty. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few
0: things for listeners before we go. If you have your own questions for the show, you can email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. These show notes will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 239. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so super helpful. And we will put links to everything that we talked about. And then lastly, you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon, Jenna Jen Stevens. I think that is all of the things. Yep. Anything from you, Jen? No, I got nothing. All right. (laughs) Oh, I will say I'm very happy. The weather seems to maybe be getting a little bit cooler. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not.
2: Oh, right. (laughs) I'm so excited. I'm going to the beach next week, so I hope it's warm. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited. Have fun. I don't care if it's warm. It's still the beach. I'm still going to look at it and the
0: ocean. And I can't wait. I'm ready for it to be freezing. No, no. Yes. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful and I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the intermittent fasting podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcast, intermittent fasting stories, and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast.
1: Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.